Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. One of the popular trends of the 21st century is the obsession of people with makeovers. Americans spent $16.5 billion on plastic surgery last year alone. We indulge in body makeovers, improving houses, restoring old cars, and buying the latest technologies we think will improve our lives. I want to offer a pastoral caution. 
There is nothing in the Christian experience or salvation that has to do with improvement or makeovers or perfection of what has previously existed. Listen, this is very important. Christianity is about total transformation. The New Testament speaks of believers having a new mind, a new will, a new heart, a new wisdom, new perception, new understanding, new righteousness, and new love. Our problem is that many people in the modern world are pragmatists. We want results, and we want them quickly. Many pastors and churches today have developed doing life strategies, recipes for makeovers, overcoming problems that are shallow and short-lived. The Christian life is construed as a program, as something to do, rather than as putting on Christ. The result is that, sadly, many modern Christians are not, by and large, deeply grounded saints, rooted and built up on the foundations of our most holy faith. Church programs produce a shallow, superficial Christianity. God's way is different. Being deeply rooted and grounded in Christ himself produces robust saints of the cross. In our text today, Romans 6, 1-11, the Apostle Paul challenges this modern, pragmatic, program-oriented outlook and beckons us to look deeply at the foundations of the Christian faith. The book of Romans leads us down into the roots of godliness so that we begin to focus on being instead of doing. We stop building our lives around programs and seminars and superficial solutions and actually become people with unshakable life, strength, holiness, wisdom, and love. Let's look carefully at these verses together. Verse 1 asks the question, Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? If the more we sin, the more of God's grace we receive— then nothing is better than to keep on sinning so that more and more grace will come. This is, of course, a complete misunderstanding of both grace and the gospel. Tragically, there are some modern Christians who believe that the gospel gives them a makeover, a power, a resource to do whatever they want. They think that they can freely engage in lifestyles, relationships, and practices that God expressly forbids and continue to claim that they are believers and part of the church. Paul's argument in Romans 6 is that anyone who thinks this way shows that he has not yet begun to understand the gospel. Life in sin cannot coexist with death to sin. Verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? That is, are we to go on sinning because forgiveness is guaranteed through the death of Christ? His answer in verse 2 is, may it never be. Obviously not. Absolutely not. We are forbidden to go on sinning that grace may increase. Why not? Because since we have died to sin, we cannot go on living in it. What does you have died to sin mean, and what does you can't go on living in sin mean? 
First, let's remember that Romans 5, the preceding chapter before our passage, makes clear that the death of Christ is representative and inclusive. In his death, we all died. Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the cross. For what purpose? In order that those whom God has called to faith in Christ may live the rest of their lives as holy, changed, regenerated people. God tells us that we must sink our roots deeply into his foundational truth, specifically these glorious foundational truths of Romans 6, in order that we may flourish as believers, in order to actually live the life to which God has called us. Let's tackle our first question. What does Paul mean when he says that we have died to sin? There are four ways in which believers die to sin. The first is that the believer has died to sin in a juridical legal sense, when God in his great mercy and grace decided to take upon himself our sins in the person of his dear son on the cross. The second way the believer died to sin was in his baptism. Baptism is the work of the Holy Spirit by which Christ's death for sins becomes my death and his resurrection becomes my resurrection. In the Bible, baptism is never considered a magical practice affecting what it signifies. It is a decisive sacramental event by which a man is powerfully and unequivocally claimed by God. To be baptized means to be saved from the evil world system which operates without reference to God. When you go down into the water, you are cleansed from the evil of sin and rise up out of the water a new transfigured person within. Baptism is likened to Noah and the ark. Noah entered the safety of the ark and was saved from God's judgment against sin. Baptism is a definite conscious break with the old way of life and entrance by faith into a whole new way of life in Christ. Third, Christians are called to die daily and hourly to sin by the mortification of our sinful natures and to rise daily and hourly to newness of life in obedience to God. This is the moral sense of dying to sin. Finally, Christians will die completely to sin, ultimately and irrevocably, at Christ's second coming, when they will be raised to resurrection life in eternity. This may be called the eschatological sense of dying to sin. Now, each of these four senses of dying to sin flow from the previous one and culminate in the final one. Paul says in verse 3 and 4 that baptism is the sign of our dying to sin. Don't you know that so many of us, as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Probably the most important verse in helping us understand these truths is in verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. What Paul is saying here 
is that for believers, there is a union with Christ. Note the words, we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. There is a union between Christ and the Christian, so that what happened to Christ is counted by God as happening to the Christian. His death is our death. God establishes this union. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But by God's doing you are in Christ Jesus. God has established a union between believers and Christ in a way that makes it possible for him to count Christ's death to be our death. This is our death with Christ in the legal juridical sense. This death is something historic and once for all. It is applied to us now through our faith when we believe upon Christ and are baptized. Now Paul confirms this truth in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. This tells us that the old self was crucified. My old self is the me that was rebellious against God and insubordinate to his law, blind to his glory and unbelieving in his promises. This old self was crucified with Christ. This is the whole message and import of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ died, God counted the old sinful me as dying with him. Verse 8 confirms this truth. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ now controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So, the foundational teaching of these verses is that there is a vital union between believers and Christ. This is Paul's answer to the first question. What does you have died to sin mean? We died to sin when Christ died on the cross because of our vital union with him. Now the second question, what does Paul mean that you can't go on living in sin? Since we have died with Christ, how can we keep on living in sin? Paul is not saying that the believer after his baptism will never sin again. What he is saying is that after his baptism into Christ, he cannot continue going on in a pattern of deliberate sin. Living in it corresponds to the question in verse 1. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? The answer, no. We cannot go on with an unchanged pattern of sin in our lives. Again, verse 6, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away so that we would no longer be slaves to sin.
You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Let's continue our lesson. Being crucified with Christ means that we are not slaves to sin. Now, it is possible to temporarily fall into sinful attitudes and actions without sin being your overarching slave master. Verse 14 in our passage says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Let's remind ourselves of a crucial truth of the Christian life. Sin is the great enemy. Sin is the great exception. Sin is against the rule of holiness, godliness, and life in Christ. When the believer sins, it is an aberration to the norm. The norm is holiness, joy, love, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Sin is the aberration. It is the temporary abnormality when we fall into sin. But any true believer will quickly recognize his sin, turn from it, repent of it, and throw himself gladly back into the arms of his Savior, deeply sorrowful for such a temporary sin against him. So let's summarize what we have learned on these two points, our death with Christ and our freedom from sin. In Christ, in union with him on the cross, we are dead to sin. In our truest position, in our real identity, we are completely and finally dead to sin. This is an amazing reality. It is our status if we are truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit. This tremendous truth is the foundation of all of our subsequent warfare against sin and all of our progress in holiness and godliness. However, we need to understand that the Christian life is an already and a not yet experience of this sinless position and union with Christ. What happened to Christ historically and finally and to us in him, is now worked out in daily experience as we die to sin and live to righteousness. We are already forgiven and declared righteous because of our union with Christ. We are already delivered from slavery to sin, from the power of sin as our master and the defining direction of our lives. And, We are now already able by faith to grow more and more triumphant over sin and to make real progress in holiness. But we are not yet perfected in our daily earthly experience. We must work out in reality what God has worked in by faith. 
we must fight the fight of faith and become in experience by faith what we are perfectly already in our union with Christ. Paul put it like this in Philippians 3.12, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Do you see the already and the not yet in this verse? Christ has laid hold of Paul for perfection and blessing and eternal life. Now Paul confirms that great work of God in Christ by laying hold of that for which he was laid hold of by Christ. Paul must do his part in obedience to the one who has already done his part. Listen to what John Chrysostom says in his writing on this wonderful passage. What does baptism into death mean? It has to do with our dying as he did. We do this by our baptism, for baptism is our cross. What the cross is to Christ, baptism is to us. Christ died in the flesh, we have died to sin. Both are deaths and both are real. But if it is real, what is our part and what must we contribute? Paul goes on to say, As Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Do you believe that Christ was raised from the dead? Believe the same of yourself. Just as his death is yours, so also is his resurrection. If you have shared in the one, you shall share in the other. As of now, the sin is done away with. Paul sets before us a demand to bring about a newness of life by a changing of habits. For when the fornicator becomes chaste, when the covetous man becomes merciful, when the harsh one becomes subdued, a resurrection has taken place, a prelude to the final resurrection which is to come. How is it a resurrection? It is a resurrection because sin has been mortified and righteousness has risen in its place. The old life has passed away and the new life is now being lived. But tears come into my eyes when I think of how much Paul is asking of us and how little we have changed after our baptism, yielding ourselves to sin, going back to the oldness we had before. We undergo a change for only 10 or 20 days after our baptism, but then take up former things again. But we must see that it is not for a few days that we are required to change, but rather for a whole lifetime. Let us leave this strange land of sin where we have been drawn away from the Father. For the Father has a natural yearning towards us and will honor us if we are changed. But how to go back? Start back by avoiding vice, by going no further into it, and you have already come home. When a person who is sick does not get any worse, it is a sign that he is getting better. And so is the case with vice. Go no further, and your deeds of wickedness will have an end. The Christian life is about something that happened once for all and something that is happening every day.
If you are a Christian, God created a union between you and Christ. He planted you with Christ deep down into his death and resurrection. Because of this union, you died with Christ when he died. Because you died, you are now free from sin in your fullest and truest identity. That is, in your union with Christ. And because of this unshakable position and reality, you are justified. You are certainly sanctified, but you have not yet reached perfection. Therefore, our daily responsibility is to cooperate with Christ, to confirm the truth of these realities. How do we do this? Look at verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the stupendous project of the Christian life. We must reckon to be true what God says is true. We must be what we really are in Christ. There will be more about this in our next sermon next week. But for now, I give you C.S. Lewis, who says this so well that I want to supply an extended quote. The Christian idea of putting on Christ or dressing up as a son of God is what it means to be a real son of God. Putting on Christ is not one of many jobs a Christian has to do. It is the whole of Christianity. Christianity offers nothing else at all. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over your whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Listening friends, this is glorious news. This is the good news of the gospel. In Christ, you are not given a makeover or a restoration or a rebuild project. You are transformed, changed, transfigured into a whole new creation in Christ. Amen. Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G A U D E T E ministries.org. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. 
His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.